We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Tabernacle of Praise with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. You may be seated. You know, I think sometimes the worship of one means so much to God. We've sung this verse, it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. I wonder how sweet to God the worship of Cheryl Fain has been this morning. She suffers from COPD and often breathing becomes very, extremely difficult for her. Yet she was here pouring out her praise because she recognizes that it's God's breath in her lungs. Amen. And she has a word from the Lord that she wants to share with us this morning. So I'm going to have her come and share it. going to write it down on an index card to make sure I was fast enough, but the Lord told me to speak from my heart. So Pastor Fuller, this is the 2020 hook. It goes like this, okay? So a lot of you know that um, when I went into the hospital and I was sick, um, I didn't come to church for a while. <clears throat> What a lot of you don't know is that I su suffer severely with anxiety, depression, and suicidal tendencies. And I've seriously attempted my life more than five times, three of those times as a Christian. I can remember attempting my life the first time at 10 years old. It's the thorn in my side. It is my Achilles heel. Something miraculous happened to me a few weeks ago, and I didn't tell any of you about it because I didn't want you to know my secret. Because we keep those secrets in the church. We don't call it desperate, we call it discouraged. We don't call it that we want to disappear. We say we're overwhelmed. And we receive the same feedback that you do when you don't tell the truth. You don't get the right feedback because people don't understand. Some of you might remember that I came back to church at the end of August. Bruce was not with me. The Saturday before that Sunday, I had a plan. A very executable plan. My sweet husband often is scheduled for 10 hour shifts. So that gives me a chance to get out of the house and execute something that he won't have to find. And I did something I've never done before and I put my hands on my ears and I just screamed, Jesus! And I heard him tell me, I want you to watch the passion of the Christ. <laughs> And I thought, right above Schindler's List, that is not a movie anybody wants to watch twice. So I put it on obediently, because if I call his name and he tells me to do something, what good is it to call his name? And I thought, I don't know how I'm going to sit through this. It's just some trick he's designing to make me feel guilty about what I'm thinking. 
and I got to the very beginning where God was in, where Jesus was in the garden. And that evil creature-like looking thing that represented Satan was talking to him so cunningly and so convincingly about, and I thought, oh my gosh, that's what it is. That's what it is. And some of us deal with it with medication and some of us deal with it with herbs, but we all deal with it even beyond that. Anyway, the minute I saw this creature trying to talk Jesus into forsaking his purpose, I felt like God said, okay, turn it off. That's what I wanted you to see. And so I came to church that morning alone and I didn't dare to tell any of you that less than 10 hours before I was ready to execute a plan. It's Suicide Awareness Month. I was very disturbed. I don't have a lot of close friends and there's a girl at work that I'm trying to pursue a friendship with. She's slippery, but we're slowly pursuing a friendship. She gives me a ride to work every day. We take our breaks together. We have lunch together. And on Monday after church, I read a post on Facebook about how she thought about attempting her life the day before. And I never even knew it. As a church, I know especially here in the South, those of you who know that I'm a Yankee by birth know it's easier for me, but we have to pry. We have to push a little. We have to know because once it's done, it's done. The last time I seriously attempted my life, we were living in Plano. And I put the shower on and I drank a lot of alcohol and having worked on a suicide prevention line overnight for several years, I knew exactly how to rip it. And as I was going in, my phone was ringing and I don't know why I even answered it. And it was a friend of mine in Florida. And she said to me, I see exactly what you're doing. Put it down and step out of the bathroom. And from that point to this, I thought I was kind of like buffered away, you know? But this time that I've been away from you, I've been struggling every day to do the next and taking over medicating so that I'll be asleep when Bruce comes home so he'll think I'm just sick so I don't have so he won't see it in me I praise God today that his breath is in my lungs so I can share with you it's something to be aware about and truly depressed people are not depressed because they don't have enough money to pay the rent when they say they're gonna, they're suicidal, they, it, it, what they're trying to say to you is, I'm overwhelmed and I don't know the next step. Truly, truly suicidal, depressed and anxious people don't tell you that. They're quiet and they just do it. I lost a young man two weeks ago who without telling a soul went in his backyard and blew his head off and has left a wake of sadness and non-closure behind him. And I think I was ready to do that to my family and friends. If you feel the way that I do, talk to your pastors. They're great about keeping confidentiality. Get to a doctor, get on antidepressants, get on anti-anxiety. When I worked at the call center for suicide prevention, 
I would say to people who would say to me, I just don't want to live. And I'd say, how long have you been feeling that way? And they'd say, two months. And I'd say, well, what happened two months ago? And they'd say, well, my pastor told me that all I needed was Jesus and that I should throw away my medicine. There's a spiritual and a demonic presence of suicide, but there's also a medical thing. And when you have both of them, it's very complicated and it's too big for you alone. Please, I beg you, if you feel this way, reach out. That's the kind of honesty the church needs, desperately. That's the kind of transparency that actually helps. I have known since Tuesday that I was going to have the services this week, and usually it's no big deal. I have plenty of things in the hopper that I'm working on and many are finished and but somehow this week was different I I have written four different messages that seem to be from God when he gave them to me but Late in the evening last night, God spoke to me again, and now I understand why He has put this on my heart to minister today. And I think this is more than just for Cheryl and some others that I know about here today. But I want to talk to you about trusting in a God who really believes in you. Trusting a God who really believes in you. My text comes from Job, the first chapter, one segment of verse 8. When God says to Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? It's an old, old story. I may have told it before, I really don't think I have. But one of the books that we read in grammar school was Rip Van Winkle. He's a guy that went up in the Catskills and slept 20 years. The sad thing about that story is I've known some people who've been asleep a lot longer than that. Some of them have never awakened they're asleep to what's inside of them. They're asleep to the purposes that God has for their life. They're prince and princesses walking while servants ride. The thing of the story of Rip Van Winkle is not so much that he slept 20 years is that he slept through an entire revolution. When he went up into the Catskills to nap, he passed an inn in the village in which he lived. And hanging on the sign of the village inn was a picture of George III, King of England. When he came back down from the mountain 20 years later, there was a picture of George I, you know, first in war, first in peace, first in the heart of his countrymen. It was a picture of George Washington. An entire revolution had taken a place while he slept. I think that's what's happening in America. America has fallen asleep and 
there's a revolution taking place in our midst. We imagine that Job is unique in Scripture, but I have known a lot of Job's across the course of my ministry. When you think that God started a nation with Abraham, you know, the guy who pawned off his wife twice, you know, the guy who put his own son out because he was born of a bondwoman. Jesus staked the destiny of his church on 12 men, one of which was Simon Peter. Ordinary people, it's so easy to imagine God in his greatness hanging the heavens out like a curtain, pinning the stars on the black velvet of night. It's easy to imagine a God who knows me and a God who loves me. But to believe that a God believes in me and placed trust in me, who has the confidence that I can go through a trying challenge of life and prove faithful, that's difficult. God wouldn't waste his time watching one minute of a Super Bowl of supposed superstars. Wouldn't waste his time. But he sits in the grandstands of our lives on his feet, wildly cheering our victories. He suffers with us through our setbacks, but he believes in us that we're like a buoy in the ocean, that we may get tilted one side or another, and we may get washed under by one wave, but we'll always come back standing upright, that we'll win. Most of us think we're too ordinary for God, too ordinary for God to use to bless, but are we? We think that God is a God of redwoods and oaks, but never of pine and poplars. He's a God of tulips and orchids, but never of sunflowers and pansies. He's the God of eagles and brilliant macaws, but not of robins and catbirds and chickens and heaven forbid a turkey. But it was an, on an ordinary night with ordinary people ordinary sheep, ordinary shepherds, not a blue ribbon winner among them. Angels came and told them a story. Angels came and sang them a song because the big, bright, important folks were too busy to listen to such nonsense. So God walked in the back door of the earth, pitched his tent in manger straw, wrapped himself in swaddling clothes, and sang his songs and told his story to just ordinary folks. I'm sure that that day in the wilderness was not the first time in the thoughts of Moses was worrying about how Israel's plight in Egypt could be rectified. 
I'm sure he thought about the logistics of delivering them was far, far beyond his purview. So he walks by a bush, just an ordinary bush. He carries a rod, just an ordinary rod, which becomes a snake, and he catches it by the tail. But what he learned at that ordinary bush and what he possessed in that ordinary rod was all he needed to effect the deliverance of Israel. When David showed up that day on the battlefield against Goliath, he sure didn't look like Rambo. David had something very, very ordinary in mind, just a slingshot. The common denominator of this is that it always involved the ordinary. All humans are just ordinary. To get extraordinary, you have to add God to ordinary. God is always the extra. God plus man becomes extraordinary. I saw in my mind as I was thinking and praying yesterday, I saw a man, the pace of the oxen was easy in the darkness before dawn. The road from the village was lit by less than a full moon. There was a chill in the air and a freshness of nature's perfume filled the air. Stars, the angels, campfires in heaven still dimly burned. Off the road, the pace of the oxen slowed as they pulled the wagon slowly up an elevated trail. Lost in his thoughts, the rider in the cart began to notice that darkness had given way to dawn. Carefully, he trained his eyes to survey the trees. There was a mixture of all kinds in the forest. But the artistry of his soul gave, gave discretion to his eyes. And carefully, his eyes falls on one of them. And he selects it, just an ordinary tree. It probably had been the home of many seasons of bird nest. Perhaps deer and squirrel and other animals had eaten of its bounty for decades. He saw around the tree others had been harvested. Perhaps one to warm a fireplace, another to provide a fence line for cheap. So he tethers the oxen, removes their yoke, begins his day's work of felling the tree. He knows that beautiful things lie hidden in an ordinary tree, rough, gnarled, twisted in the forest. How much can be hidden in a thing that looks so ordinary? I've told the story about a man I pastored in Atlanta. He had worked in dental labs making crowns and bridges, which is a specialized field. He decided to go out on his own, and he found a dental office that had closed their dental lab. So he discussed leasing it from them, and beginning to open his business. 
they agreed to us rental amount, lease amount, and they told him they'd completely remodel the office, that old dental lab. He said, no, I don't want you to do that. He said, I'll completely remodel it. Just leave everything like it is. So he goes home and he gets his shop back and he begins to vac vacuum all of the benches and underneath them and vacuum the rug. He takes the rug up, he rolls it up, and he calls Delinko, which is a gold company, and asks them if they'd come pick this stuff up. And so they smelt down all the stuff that he provided, all of the shop vac, the carpet, everything that he had been able to dredge out of that carpet. And they brought him a check for the north side of $30,000 of gold dust that they had found in the carpet. There's a lot can be hidden in an ordinary thing. In a snake's tail, Moses found a rod to humble Egypt. In a carpenter's shop, we find a messiah. He tethers the failed tree to the oxen and he drags the tree back to the village to his carpenter shop. It's going to take him a lot of love and patience and skill to transform that tree into something that's worthwhile and something that's beautiful and beneficial. I've spent hours working with wood. It took me forever to learn how to make a dovetail. The first one I ever accomplished, it split on me and I had to start over after several hours of work. I've spent an entire day perfecting a compound miter joint for a picture frame. Old Simon is as ordinary as they come. Rough, ungoverned tongue. I imagine Jesus had the devil of the time transforming Simon into Peter. I know that David Fuller has challenged God with all of his skills to bring me to where I am today. I suspect that you haven't fit together the first time either. I'm sure God's had a struggle with all of this. But God doesn't throw someone away because they're difficult to shape or to form. He doesn't throw people away because they don't get it the first time or the second or the third or the fifth or the 20th or the 50th. He just patiently takes it up again. Cuts, sands, fits, cuts, sands, fits, cuts, sands, fits. It's not so much that you and I are irreplaceable. That's not it at all. He just knows his skill. He just believes in us if only we could believe in him the way he believes in us. If we could just trust him the way he trusts us. Sometimes the saw bites deep and the sandpaper rubs roughly on us. Not to punish us, but to beautify us. This pulpit is built out of an old church pew. Sometimes the saw bites deep and the sandpaper rubs roughly. But you got to know one thing. God isn't punishing you. 
He's just trying to beautify you. He's just trying to enhance and bring something out of your life that is hidden. You see, our bodies are just the frame. No one goes into an art gallery and oogles over the frames. The frames are there to give definition and to enhance the picture that's inside the frame. Our flesh is just a frame. It should never become the focus. It's what's happening to us spiritually is the thing that matters. As I said, I talked with God most of the day yesterday. And God seemed especially ecstatic about today's service. And I'm overwhelmed at God's faith and confidence in you and I. Yea. Yeah, he talked to me about difficult joints and knots. But he also reminded me that he's not finished with you yet. If you really understood how he felt about you, He hasn't even considered taking you off the workbench yet. He said if you'd only talk to him more often, if you'd really try to get to know him better, that he could discuss more in detail about his plans for you, thoughts of peace and expected end, God has beautiful plans for your life, a tremendous destiny. It takes time to transform something ordinary to become extraordinary. That beautifying character is far more difficult than beautifying a piece of wood. It took 80 years for him to transform Moses from ordinary to extraordinary. It took 90 years for Abraham. It's a work of a lifetime. Disciples are made in a moment. Converts are made in a moment. But true discipleship is a process of a lifetime. And you have to never forget that God isn't beautifying you for time. He's working on you as an eternal project. You're being made not for this world, but for that world to come. You'll never know when God asked Satan, have you considered my servant and whatever your name is? You see, the things that were written aforetime were written to our admonition on whom the ends of the world were come. That lets me know that Job is in the Bible because there's Job's in this congregation. When money comes into your possession, you get to choose how you spend it. I remember praying a prayer decades ago. In October, it will be about 50 years ago. I offered to God my life. I told Him to use me Anyhow, he saw fit. So I think I've given God permission to spend me any way he wants to. 
Jeremiah asked the question, shall the clay say to him that is fashioned it, what makest thou? It ought to be enough for all of us just to be in his hands. God is always in the process of making our life better, not bitter. And the only difference is getting the eye out to turn bitter into better. I can imagine you have questions. I've had questions. Job had questions. He said, if I could just find God and talk to him, I know that he'd explain to me what's going on. But you do realize that in the book of Job, there's only 14 verses in the entire book that Job had no knowledge of. The first seven verses of chapter 1 and the first seven verses of chapter 2 which comprise 1.4% of the entire book of Job. Job knew 98.6% of what God was doing and about. You see, God doesn't have to hide very much to keep us in the dark. But as I've often said, When you walk with God, you have to trust in His ways when you don't understand His motives. We walk by faith, not by sight. I pray that it's not in your biography that you have to walk all the way through life without an explanation. But you may have to. My encouragement to you today is just trust God. Just trust Him. Because He has a trained eye. He knows what you're capable of far better than you know. God is using your life even in its disadvantaged, though it is disadvantaged, He's still using your life. I've watched a lot of great saints live. And I've watched a lot of great saints die. And I learn from both their life and their death how to live for God and how to die for God. How to die with dignity, how to accept what life brings knowing full well that God in an instant could correct it, but that if he chooses not to, God has a real reason not to. Otherwise, you wouldn't be going through what you are. Just trust Him and believe in Him. God chooses very carefully those who, like Job, have to suffer in life. Because not many of us can do it with dignity. 
you're showing your faith, you're proving your faith in the bad time. And God needs that exemplified in the world that we live in so much more than he ever has before. There will be an end to what you're going through. There will be. But in the process, I encourage you to trust God who believes in you so much. Father, I ask you today to visit those that are hurting and disadvantaged in their life. There are things if they could fix, they would. If there are things that they could change, they would. But as David said, my times are in your hands. That the things that passes over us are often out of our control. You told Peter that there would come a time in his life when he couldn't go and do what he wanted to do, that someone else would choose and make those decisions for him. That's a tough period to transition in our spiritual life where we have to fellowship a mystery where we have as our companion our pain, our hurt, our sorrow, our disappointment. And God, I know that you know that understanding where we are is not a whole lot of help in carrying what we carry. You said in your word, if there's any sick, let them call for the elders of the church. Let them anoint with oil, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. If they've committed any sin, it shall be forgiven them. But your word just before that says, if there's any afflicted, let them pray. That sometimes in our afflictions, you're trying to communicate a message, a message that's not always for us. But just as you live for others, there are those among us that you've chosen that their life is being lived to example your grace to others. The Apostle Paul prayed, ardently prayed, fervently prayed, often prayed, daily prayed, to be delivered from the thorn in his flesh. You never delivered him, God. You just expressed to him that your grace was sufficient. Which tells me, God, that there is a grace, a special dispensation of grace that is given to a person who is called to bear some infirmity that you don't give to me or you don't give to others. It's their own measure of grace. And I pray today, God, that 
if we fit the model of this message, that we can embrace the sufficient grace and strength of God to bear what we're called to bear. That you're more than enough and that there is great reward to not become weary in well-doing because in due season sometimes that season is in this life and sometimes that season is in another life but that we shall reap if we faint not so I pray for your strengthening grace to flow into a heart and life today with its strength and its power and its affirmation that only you can give. That God, they can live through this joyously, victoriously, confidently that in some measure they're living out and displaying a purpose that you need demonstrated in this world. I know that the judge of all the earth does right. I know that you never put on us more than we can bear. I know, God, that some of the challenges and battles that all of us have our ladder down to hell and that we war against some things. And I'm sure the warfare that I fight is far less appetizing to me than the battle that they fight. But the battle that I fight is far more appetizing to them than the battle they fight. So God, you're the God of all of us. And there is a sufficient grace individually that's tailored to our life and to what we must face and what we must carry. So God, let us embrace that grace to live what you've called us to live with forever how long we're called to live with it. I pray a peace that passes all understanding. God, that there is a confidence that comes into their heart, into their life, that you're there when no one else is. That you're cheering for them when no one else is. And that your word is there to encourage them when they don't hear it from those around them. That you are our biggest cheerleader. You love us deeper and with a greater passion than any human can. And that you can affirm us in ways that no human can. God, I've seen you at graveside walk into the lives of bereaved families and a shepherd that knew how to touch them and comfort them when no words that I could ever speak could comfort them. And I'm asking you, God, right now to touch their hearts with a comfort that only you can give. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If there's a grace that you need to receive from God,
would you just come and stand in this altar and present yourself as a recipient of the grace that you need for what you're facing just now. That you realize that it's beyond your strength. It's beyond your ability to deal with it and figure it out. But you know that He is. And that you're going to place and cast all your care on Him because He careth for you. No one ever loved us like Jesus. No one ever, ever loved us like Jesus. No one can ever affirm us and comfort us like Jesus can. Would you receive His comfort today? Would you receive His grace just now? I feel a special anointing of grace in this service. I feel an especial anointing of His divine strength to where you feel weak. Hallelujah. Strengthen right now. Strengthen right now, God. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Yes to you, Lord. I trust in you. I trust in you, God. You've never failed. You've never failed. You've never abandoned. You've never left us. Hallelujah. You are Emmanuel. You are God with us. Hallelujah. That God is with us in whatever we're going through. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That whatever I'm dealing with, you know it's best for me. I don't understand it. I can't quantify it. I can't fit the pieces together. But God, you know that where I am and what I'm dealing with is best for me right now. You know that, God. Hallelujah. Oh, yes, Lord. I believe. For more information about Tabernacle of Praise, look us up online at tabernaclepraise.org. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with our Facebook page. We also have a free app that you can use to keep up with events or be notified of bad weather, and you can listen to our sermons directly from the app. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed day.